This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hey, everybody. Hey, hey. Welcome. 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 Your saltwater guide, Captain Dave Hansen, with another phenomenal podcast for you today. The one thing I'm going to suggest that everybody does is get your notepad out or your tape recorder out because you are not going to want to miss this one. You don't want to miss the little secrets that Jeff is going to share with us all today. If you want one of those fish right there that Jeff's standing there with, Pay attention to this show today because this will help you to catch one of those fish of a lifetime. This will help you to get your swordfish, gang. This is the show you've all been waiting for. And it's perfect timing because what's going on right now in Southern California is we're actually in a little bit of a deep drop swordfish bite. Not so much of the surface fish right now, but a lot of deep drop swordfish are being caught in Southern California. So I'm very, very happy to have this gentlemen join us here in a few minutes but we got to talk a little bit about deckhand sports deckhand sports is a big sponsor of your saltwater guide and i want to thank dave and everybody over at deckhand sports for all the support that you guys give me and then the big deal tonight we're going to go live again lobster fishing in the harbor with justin Botrell on bowline sport fishing and dave from Deckhand Sports is going to be on the boat tonight with all kinds of promotions going on. Probably be giving away some cool stuff, some cool swag. You do not want to miss it. Last night on our live show from out on the water, Justin Botrell on Bowline Sport Fishing had 14,212 watched minutes, gang. It'll grab you. It'll hold on to you, and you'll be watching it. It's way better than any kneel-down sports going on today. You get to watch live catching lobsters in Long Beach, L.A. Harbor. It's not something you've ever seen before. This show's going bananas. We started it last week, and Elliot and I were blown away by the success. And then once again, we weren't disappointed last night. The viewership was incredible. At times, we had 80, 90 people watching live while we were cruising around in the harbor. So make sure you don't miss tonight's show. Tonight's going to be incredible, but nothing like if you want a swordfish gang, kick back, slow down, pay attention to what my good buddy Jeff Wilson, Jeffrey Wilson has to say. We're going to bring Jeffrey in right now, and we're going to get talking about deep drop swordfish and how bitching it is to catch a fish of your lifetime. Jeff's caught over 700. Isn't that amazing number? Think about it. When you got your first one, you'll be talking about 700 plus. Right? A lot of fish. A lot of fish. 
<laughs> a lot of fish. Jeff, how did you get into this fishing thing? What happened? All of us have a story. Um, mainly started fishing when I was a kid with my parents. You know, they'd take us to the creek and we'd catch sunfish, bluegill, and in the lake you could catch lake trout and all that kind of stuff. But I loved fishing and did it my whole life as a youngster. Um, but to get into the sport fishing part of it, my great uncle, John Callen, owned three 55-foot charter boats in Miami Beach. And I went down there when I was 16 years old in the summer to just try to make some, you know, cash for the, for the summer there. And when I went out with them on one of the trips, it was a flat calm day. We fought a 400-pound blue marlin on a mahi that we had caught in earlier. And watching that fish tear up the ocean, that was it, how it sold. I said, I got to do this. And as soon as I graduated, I moved back down to Florida. And that's where I got my start was at the Castaways docks in Miami Beach. And a lot of great fishermen came out of that place. Oh, yeah, it's legendary down there. It's absolutely legendary. But you are doing something that most of us can only dream about, this swordfish thing. And you and I were talking about it before we went live today. Most of us would love to just have the opportunity to maybe get a bite and then let us screw it up from there. And if we were to catch one, it'd be like a lifetime deal. I have a feeling that when you go out there, you already know you're going to get some. The thing that's going to float in yours is how many are we going to get today? Not am I going to get one this year? How many am I going to get today? Which is kind of cool. How did this thing go from fishing in the creeks to fish, catch, hooking a blue marlin to now be in the, and I don't care what anybody says. And there's a lot of you out there that, oh, I'm Mr. Swordfish. When you get to your 700 rod and reel swordfish, give me a call. We'll put you on the podcast. But right now we're talking to the man, the myth. You're legendary captain, bro. You're, you're it. And I'm so happy to have you on the show. And I have total respect for you. Here's how much respect I have for Jeffrey. He stepped on my Hatteras that I was running in Dana Point, and I didn't touch the wheel for three days. I didn't go anywhere. I just sat and watched and listened. That's what I. That's the respect I have for you, buddy. And I, how did you get into this swordfish thing? Because that's a big swordfish for us that fish in the ocean. That is the fish. Uh, well, I was unemployed. Uh, I had just left a job running a seventy-seven Hatteras in Montauk. And I was looking for a job and a friend of mine mentioned a guy that was looking for somebody to go fishing, uh, at looking for a captain. And the name of the boat was the booby trap. And I met them in Fort Lauderdale and I went fishing with them a few times and they hired me and the boat went back to Texas. The rest is pretty much history. Uh, we basically pioneered daytime sword fishing in the Gulf of Mexico on booby trap. And I spent five years there, and in the five years, we caught 502. Well, uh, at least I did. <laughs> that is an amazing number. Gang, we're going to get into the little tricks that Jeffrey has and the rigging and tackle and all the different things. So that's why I was telling you all to make sure you have a notepad or whatever. If you want to catch a swordfish in Southern California, I'm telling you, his technique works. It works in Florida. It works in Texas. It works in Louisiana. 
It works in Cabo. It works in Southern California. I, you told me a good story. People, a lot of the people that are watching are from Southern California. They know the man, Michael the Beak Hurt, IGFA captain. You got to go fish with Michael. Talk about that for a little bit. Well, that was great. Yeah, we uh, came over here with the owner of the booby trap and the first mate, and we were trying to crack the code at daytime sword fishing in, the, in, in California. And uh, we went on, uh, I forget uh, Mike's, the name of the boat that he was running, but we went on that boat and Mike the Beak turned the wheel over to me just like you did and said he had never done that before in his entire career. So I felt, felt pretty honored, you know, but uh, we got lucky on the first day. We hooked one um, on the bottom uh, about 1,500 feet. It was late in the day like five o'clock in the afternoon it was it was a toad and we fought that fish for 12 hours a lot of people missed flights and they had to call their wives and we're not coming back and uh the next morning um the boss man was spooling the reel trying to slow the fish down and we broke the main line so that was it for that and then a couple days later we went again on a, a viking uh, with another group of guys, and we hand cranked an 80 uh, Tiagra, and we had it on the bottom fishing for quite a while and didn't get a bite, so we decided to wind it up. And as we were winding up, I noticed that you guys have a really distinctive DSL at about 900 to 1,000 feet. For anybody who doesn't know what that is, it's a deep water scattered layer. It's all micro light. And we wound it up to what we thought was that point, you know, because we don't have a you know, no, no count. So we wound it up to what we thought was that we let it fish for a while and we didn't get a bite. So we put the uh, drill on it, to bring it up in a hurry and it loaded up and we fought that fish for 10 hours and pulled the hooks on it. So we had a couple of big fish on over there, and, but you know, unless you see them, you don't really know what they are. You know? Right. A lot of people told you you had a thresher shark and this and that, but I don't think so. Not that depth, not for that many hours. I don't know. I've caught a few threshers in my life. They don't seem to pull that hard. This season we caught uh, a thresher. It was probably in the 400 pound range. Tail wrap took five and a half hours. But like I said, everything I use is I use 50 talicas. That's it. I no hand, no electric reels, all hand cranking. And you get them faster. People don't believe that. Oh, electric reel, I'm going to catch it faster. Not a chance. I'll beat you every day of the week with a hand crank over electric reel. And why, okay, why Why do you think that is? Well, you're feeling the fish. You know what I mean? You're in contact with that fish, and you can feel what it's doing. And you can, and I fish 22 pounds of drag on my reel all the time. So we're we're putting it to them as hard as we can. Now, Depending on the rod you're using is the amount of bend and how much the rod is actually doing the work or you're doing the work. You know what I mean by that? Absolutely. If, got, if the rod's too wimpy, then you're you're doing all the work. If the rod's got some meat to it, then the rod's doing the work. So you have to find that fine combination between stiff and light and find the right rod to, to work that out. Now that video that Elliot just showed, the guy sitting on the rail, winding on the fish. I personally, that's how we fish these big 
bluefin here in Southern California. I don't understand the stand up and fight the fish thing. Wouldn't, would you rather fight it in the rod holder or would you rather fight it in a harness? No, we only hook them in a rod holder, but we put them right to, straight to the fighting chair. Oh, to the chair. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And when we're doing doubles, the other guy has to be uh, standing up. We, in we the do double. Yeah. You know, so like when we do double headers, the, the, the way to do that is once you hook the first fish, um, there's a lot of things that go into that before I would say that. Um, when I hook a fish, I take the boat ahead on them. Once that rod bends over and the fish is on or hooked, I take the boat ahead on them. The reason for that is you've got a three pound ball let down there that's putting a big kink in your line. So the line's going down and then out to your bait and the ball lead is here. So what I'm trying to do is get that bend out, you know, so I'm driving the hook. I'd rather lose that fish in the first minute or two than spend an hour fighting it to the boat and then have him spit it at me when he's right next to the boat. Okay, that makes a ton of sense. Absolutely, you gotta get that bow out of there with that big sinker hanging off. The, that was the hardest thing for me to comprehend was we put that giant piece of rebar on the hook and drop that thing down. But above that, I don't know what, 100 feet or something, there's a three pound weight. And it was just something I had never seen in my life before. I learned so much that day, those couple of days you took me fishing. That whole weight thing, that, that has a lot to do with everything, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, when we first started doing it, we learned how to do it in, in Florida. And you're fighting three to four knots current over there. So they're using a 12 pound stick weight instead of a three pound ball lead like I use just to stay on bottom. You're using a much heavier rod, much stiffer. And the bite is, you've got to pay attention to see the bite. And you're fighting that current the whole time. To do it the way I do it, where we fish in a knot of current or less, um, we're using what we call a breakaway lead or a disposable lead. Right here. This is basically what we're using right here. That's just cut steel. We weld a nut on the top and then we put utility wire on it. And this is actually going to go on your hook that has the bait on it, like that. So when you hit bottom, the weight falls over and you're free and you're fishing. And you got down there in a hurry. But what we learned in Florida didn't work in that light current. So when we would drop the bait down, um, like you do in Florida with the 12 pound lead, it, it, we just end up with a big tangled mess. So we had to figure out how to do it. And the first thing we did was like a giant letter C. You would start deploying here, you wanna end up here. So you would do a big long C and you were paying the line out the whole time. Now we didn't get tangled that way, but it was really hard to hit your mark. And if you had seaweed and whatnot, that, that interfered with everything. So we had to figure that out. And then we came up with the direct drop method and that's just the way to go. We were using uh, window sashes for the longest time. You know, the window sashes that help lift the windows up in the old style school uh, houses, but they're getting hard to find. So now we're using cut steel and rebar mainly. And we paint everything because you don't want that rusty thing on your boat. 
Right. Well, that's what we did when you guys came. You and RJ had me cut a bunch of that, get a bunch of that rebar cut. We brought it on the boat and I was like, what a mess. Here we are on this beautiful yacht with all this rusty rebar. And then you told Pete Grosbeck, because Pete fished with us too, another IGFA captain, Pete Grosbeck. And you told Pete, and I don't, I must have been not paying attention. I know it's hard to believe, but you told Pete to paint that rebar before you put it on the boat. And then Pete took it to another level, painted it with like rubber coating. So it was really soft on his boat. But yeah, you guys taught us so much on that trip. Both of us were in, we were just soaking it up like a couple of sponges because we both wanted to be successful. One really cool thing about fishing with you and RJ, Pete Grosbeck and I are high energy. We, we like to talk a lot and talk very loudly when we're fishing. All of a sudden, we're with you and RJ and it's everything's very calm, very mellow, very, I remember when we hooked our fish and we're all like running around a circle, y'all calm down, Dave, calm down. We're going to wind everything in and put everything away before we start battling this fish. And me and Pete looked at each other and we're both laughing because you took our high energy and you just brought us down and made us be all mellow. And then we started to understand the whole thing. And you guys are looking at us going, we do this every single day. And we're like, we've never done this before in our life. We were so excited. And then uh, I still get excited. We all get excited. Just a little different now. <laughs> well, you, the way that, that you guys fight that fish is just different because you already know. One thing I learned is the way you fish them. Once it bites your bait, it's pretty much your fish. Pretty much. Yeah, you guys have it figured out. You already know that when he eats that bait, that's your fish. You're just like, how long is it going to take us to get him from down there to up here on the on the boat? That's pretty much where we are so excited. We got a bite. Woo, we got a bite. You're like, yeah, this is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to get a bite, ding dong. We're supposed, oh, that's, we didn't plan on getting a bite. We didn't know that was going to happen. Real quick, I want to show you guys a video real quick from uh, Dave and the guys over at Deckham Sports. Then we'll show you what that bite ended up being. And then Jeff and I will talk a little bit about that bite before he gets into all the techniques of catching swordfish. Elliot, can you throw up that video real quick? sports bag there's so many things with that kill bag going on number one thing that we always have a problem with is how to secure it because you usually have the handle and then you got a bag and you don't have any way to secure it dave and the guys over at deckhand sports have designed all kinds of different latch systems and and uh places to put the the rope to tie it to it to put a bowline in it to put something in it to hold those bags in place because that's something that none of the other bag manufacturers have ever thought of so 
There's so many places to tie and make that bag secure. And then when you saw them putting those Dorado in the bag, you saw that foam rib system that they put in the bottom of the bag that holds the bag open. That is so cool. That is something I never thought of when I got the pieces from Dave. I was like, what do these do? He goes, Dave, you got to watch the video. I open the bag up, put the ribs inside. It holds the bag open. Leak proof. The the wet, the uh, zip. See how the flaps are right there on the front of that bag to tie it off. That's something no one else has ever done before. The tie off spots, everything on there. And then it's water. I mean, it's leak proof. It's not going to leak ever. The zippers are welded on instead of sewn on. It's just a whole different design. And Dave will be on the show tonight live from out on the water with um, Justin Botrell. So you can ask him questions about his bags and stuff. He'll answer you guys on the show tonight. He'll be live with Justin. So make sure you tune into the show and maybe you'll win something from Deccan Sports. But whew, I'm excited about those bags, but I'm really excited about what we're, Jeff and I are going to talk about this giant fish. Jeff has never caught one. RJ had never caught one. It was the biggest one that Pete Grossbeck, IGFA Hall of Fame captain, had ever seen. The only live one I had ever seen. I'd seen him in pictures, but I'd never seen a live one. We caught a 147-pound OPA at front side of San Clemente Island. Jeff and RJ looked at the charts, looked at the chart plotter, and were like, wow, there's some bitching canyons right here. Let's go fish out there. How far away is that island? I was like, well, it's 50 miles. We ran out there. We deployed the whole system, the buoy system, which is something that I had no idea how to do. I was like, every part of this was brand, brand new for me. And then lo and behold, I don't know, an hour and a half, two hours into it, we're all just talking and Jeff looks down at me or looks down at RJ and he goes, we got one on. RJ's like, yeah, we got one. And we were like, what? What? That's how it went, gang. That's exactly the emotional that's exactly the emotions. If I wasn't paying attention, I would have never known we had one. Jeff looked at RJ and said, we got one, huh? And RJ's all, yep, we got one. And me and Pete start running around in circles like little kids. We got one! <laughs> right? Well, we were hoping it was a swordfish, but I was pretty happy with the results anyway. Yeah, you already got, what, 700 swordfish, but you don't have one of these big, giant red goldfish. Got one now. Yeah, it's insane. That was pretty cool. It was a, you know, it's funny. I actually somewhere in my photographs is a picture of the chart plotter afterwards. And it was like, <laughs> we did like circles and, and then we'd move over and do another circle and move over and do another circle. It was a crazy fight. You know, oh, it was before, so I didn't know what to respect. As it came up and as you guys, RJ had already decided it wasn't a swordfish, but Nobody thought it was a shark either. RJ's going, I don't know what this is. It's a fish. And he's telling my boss at the time, just slowly turn the handle. You're no hurry. It's coming up. We're going to get the weight. We're going to detach it from the line in the last 150 feet or 200 feet. You're going to get to battle this fish. It was pretty much one of the most exciting experiences I've been involved in. We didn't know what it was. Then we could see deep color and we could see the glowing red with the silver spots and it was just absolutely I was <laughs> it was like an alien was coming up I don't know if we have a picture we can show everybody of that Elliot or not but it's pretty incredible yeah there he is there that's him Jeffrey and and uh, RJ and me and Pete 
Pretty incredible fish. Look at that thing, gang. That's how it came out of the water looking. When it was in the water, it looked silver. All those little dots were like glowing silver. Like he could turn on, I guess like a marlin does, how they flash their colors. This guy was flashing that silver. It was just the most unbelievable thing. Right, Jeff? Yeah, it was a pretty cool fish. Oh, there you go. That's when you... We're weighing it yeah. up at the fuel dock there, gang. Yeah, I wasn't there for that. Remember, I had to leave. I didn't get to taste it. That's right. You were you were on a mission to go catch some swordfish down in Louisiana or something. Roger that. I think I was still in Texas at the time. Actually, yeah, yeah I was you working. Were, were you working for uh, the Tennessee Titans then? Yes, yes. The owners of the Tennessee Titans. That was called the Titan Up. Great people. You caught a couple swordfish with them also, didn't you? Oh, yeah. We caught a bunch there. Uh, at first, they were really, really into it and really wanted to do a lot of it. And probably halfway through the five years, um, we started, we got tuna tubes and we started doing a lot more marlin fishing. So we kind of split it up and then it kept gradually going more towards blue marlin fishing, I think. I think that's mainly what they're doing now. I was very, very excited that day, as you can see in that video, gang. I was so excited. There we go. There's your old boat. Yep. That was a good girl right there. So that right that there, that was a 635 in Puerto Rico. Oh, my gosh. Look at that pig. That was a crazy fish. Crazy fish. I, that was a odd trip. I RJ asked me if I wanted to go over to Puerto Rico and do a seminar with him and this guy Paco Vela, who was like the, the guy that was their expert. And he had a little bit different method. And we went over and, oh, we go to get on this boat. It's a center console, big center console. And it had one of those side tuna doors. And I'm like, Jokingly, I go, guys, we got a problem. I go, what? I said, that door ain't big enough for the fish we're going to catch today. Just making a joke. So we ran the whole two miles to the fish grounds. <laughs> and I'm looking at the chart plotter and I see this giant hole and it's 1900 feet in the bottom of the hole. And it's like a crater. And I, I just look at it. And I'm like, wow, check that out. And Paco goes, what, what, what's, what's wrong? I said, nothing's wrong. I said, just got a really nice spot here on the chart plotter. He goes, okay, well, we'll go there. And I'm like, Paco, no, no, no. This is your, your, your backyard. You know, you know where to go. You know where the fish are. He goes, no, you say there's fish there. We go there on our second drop. We caught that 635. Oh man. You made the <laughs> beaver out of him, right? That fish fought hard down deep for a long time. And then it came up to the surface. And made like three 1,000 yard runs on the surface. And that just pooped it right out. And we were able to take the fish after that. So we're out here fishing in Southern California. We're looking, what are we going to be looking for to help out some of our members that are wanting to catch a swordfish? What, what kind of bottom are they looking for? What are they looking for? What are they thinking? What are they, that DSL you were talking about? Describe that a little bit more. Get more into techniques here for the next half hour. We already blew through a half an hour. I told you it goes so fast 
We already gone through a half hour, but we need to get into a little bit of the techniques. A lot of people were super excited that you were coming on here and they're sitting here wanting to know where would you go, Jeff, if you were in Southern California? What are we looking for on the chart? Well, I'd be asking your people a lot of questions. Uh, the main thing, see now, I'm not sure. Are you catching them deep dropping on the bottom or are, you, are most of them coming from the buoy rocks? Most I, I I was under the understanding that most of them were on the buoy rods. Right, correct. Most of them are coming on the buoy rods. 800 to 1,200 feet of water is what I'm told, where it's 3,000 feet deep, stuff like that. That DSL, I know a lot of the guys out here talk talk about it. It's kind of an important thing to understand the DSL and fish your bait above it or below it. Yep. What, what do? I would fish it above or below that DSL. The bottom, from what I understand over there, you know, you've got a colder water as a whole. Your, your ocean is much colder. And your bottom has less oxygen. So it makes me wonder sometimes if they spend very much time down there, you know, because it's so cold down there on the bottom. So it, it only makes sense to me that they would come up and feed in that area there. Plus, that helps them digest. That's the main reason swordfish come to the surface. People think they're coming up to get suntan. They're digesting. You know, they're coming up to, to poop. See what yeah. Jimmy Gonzalez is asking? Do you see that question on your screen? Oh, I use squid. I'm a, I'm a squid guy. I'm mainly squid. Almost 100% squid. Don't get me wrong. I will, especially if I'm not getting bit on the squid all day. But that's their number one food source. They eat squid. But anything long and thin like eels. Um, my God, RJ's got a, a, a whole variety selection you got belly baits strip baits um eels what they call a taco um and now he's got the giant squid tentacles and they they work that's what i was just gonna say those tentacles the way he threads those and sews them onto the hook and stuff that's a pretty bitching looking bait rj boyle we had him on the show a few months back RJ and Jeff are a phenomenal team. That's who came and fished with us and tried to teach me and Pete how to do it. But uh, together, the two of you guys have a phenomenal network of friends and stuff. And RJ Boyle has all the bait you could need. I remember when we were super into it, we would always have RJ ship us out the baits. And one real quick, funny story, gang. <laughs> Jeff, I had, I had gotten, I don't know, 50 baits from RJ. And I had them in my truck and I was taking them down to put them in the freezer on the boat that I was running at the time. We had a big like uh, chest freezer on the boat and I accidentally left one of those squids in my truck. And uh, I let Jeff and RJ borrow my truck and they were using my truck while they were in town. And uh, RJ, I remember calling RJ up and he goes, hey, did something die in this car? And I'm like... No, I don't know what you're talking about. He goes, oh, my gosh, the stench. We can't even barely handle this. We got all the windows down, and it still stinks terrible. I go, well, it didn't smell like that when I gave it to you. I don't know. And then what did you find in there, Jeff? Found a rig squid in the back. All nice. Oh, man, it, it was bad. It was bad. <laughs> you, well, you told him not to clean any of the garbage up in the back. He said, don't yeah. mess with my on the floor and all that. So that next morning, I said to RJ, I said, look, I got to go do something. I said, I'm going to go out and clean the inside of that car out. And that's when I found the squid. 
Yeah, I kept about a, a proper amount of garbage in my truck at the time because it made it ride better, I always thought. It made it grip the highway better, the amount of trash that was in there. So I didn't want you and RJ to lose any of my trash. But, oh, my God, I about killed the two of you. That that stench was horrible. But this, this rig and bait thing is super important, gang, because... Jeff will tell you more about it, but you're dropping a bait down a thousand feet or 800 feet or 1200 feet. You're not going to wind it up every couple of minutes and check and make sure it's okay. So you want to make sure that bait's rigged on there. How much time do you spend, Jeff, just rigging your baits? This will blow people's minds. One squid takes about half an hour. To rig one bait, one, one bait. bait. And how many baits do you fish on an average day? I won't leave with at least 50 in the bait box. Can you, so you guys understand that times 50 by half an hour. That's how much time he spends just rigging his baits. Okay. There's a lot to this. You're not just going to go out, throw a squid on a hook and just drop it down 800 feet, and catch a swordfish. The reason no, we, we rig these things. I mean, we spend so much time on them. We cross stitch these things. We have uh, one, two, three, four separate stitches in the fish itself. We, we sew the head to the body. We use one stitch just to make the hook stand up. Then we cross stitch all the way up the top. And then those threads continue on up and you put them in a crimp so that the bait can't bunch up. You don't want the bait to bunch up this way or this way. And remember, we're dropping them down head first. So you have to also sew the head to the hook. So there's a lot involved in that. And then all the extra stitches on the body is so that when the swordfish hits it, it just doesn't fall into two pieces. We kind of found that like, if you just got a ball, they won't eat it. If you got two pieces, they won't eat it. If it stays together, they'll come back and eat it. So that's why we put all those stitches in there. It, it, it takes a lot of time and probably the number one thing, if I had to say there was one thing that I feel like I'm ahead of everybody else on. It's preparation. I spend all winter tying these wind-ons. I tied this one this morning. Everything's hand-done. I use a 70-foot wind-on with a six-foot leader. Everything's done ahead of time. This would be a normal hook set that I would use, but I've changed that now. This was happening from time to time inside the bait. See how the hook got caught like that? Oh, yeah. Uh, you done rigged your bait, you get all done, and you hold it up, you go, oh, what's wrong? Something's wrong. It's because it got hung up on there. It happened enough that I had to change it. So now what I do is I use the lighter weight shrink tubing, and I put it on there, so I've made a semi-stiff rig. And there's no way for that to happen again. It's just something I do. And I use... The lightweight stuff and then I use a hole puncher and I punch a hole in it and then I just melt that all back down on there and you pull down on the line real hard. Now you've got a perfect hole to get your needle through to make this hook stand up when we rig it. But that's that's what it is. It's it's preparation. I mean even these little pieces. Here's a little container full of all those little pieces like that. Here's another container with the smaller ones that I use, another container with this, the shave tubing, another container with the crimps in it. They're all right here. Everything's all set up. 
I'll have 100 wind-ons tied before the season starts. I'll have probably 200 baits rigged in the freezer, ready to go before the season starts next year. And it's all about that, prep. That is incredible. That's, hey, that's what sets Jeffrey apart from the other guys down there. That's why, like we said in the very beginning of the show, when I'm going out, I'm hoping maybe maybe we're going to get one. Maybe my life, I might get one. Jeff's thinking, how many am I going to? How many bites am I going to get today? That's why he doesn't leave the dock without fifty rigged baits. Think about that game. Most people are too lazy to do this kind of stuff. We talk about it on my website all the time. People go, oh, you're giving them everything. Yeah, but most people are too lazy to do everything. They're, they're going to go just close enough, but they're not going to go all the way. And like I say, it's like making chocolate chip cookies, Jeffrey. If we leave out the butter, we did everything else, but we left out the butter. They're not going to taste right. If you did right. everything else, but you didn't rig, let's say you went to the spot that you were at yesterday and you did everything, but you didn't rig your bait because you were tired and you were in a hurry and you didn't rig the bait right. Now in your head, because of the person you are, that confidence level's already slipped. Once you lose confidence as a captain, you're second-guessing yourself. Now you're no longer in the game, right? Well, yeah, everybody seconds-guesses themselves when you're out there. You don't get bit. You're man, what am I doing wrong? Something's wrong here. Why am I not getting bit? But sometimes they just don't bite. You know, it's, it's getting numbers. To get numbers like I get, you got to really work at it. When I... When we hook a fish, as soon as that fish is hooked and we got it up to the point whether we're releasing it or we're harvesting the fish, whichever it may be, the second that fish either hits the deck or gets let go, I'm on my way back to the spot and they better be ready when I get there. <laughs> well, you know, so that's, as soon as we get back, we're dropping again. That's something I learned from my buddy Pete. Grossbeck told me a long time ago, dude, if you're not doing everything right, then you're doing everything wrong. It's that simple. It's that simple. This whole fishing thing, there's so many things about it that you just have to do right. Like Pete spends so much time on his bait and his ballyhoos and his live bait and everything. And it taught me a ton about preparation, just like you said, because when he's ready to go, he's on his way to the next spot of Marlin. He's got, he knows he's got 20 baits out there that are rigged proper and ready to go. Just like, you know, when you get back up on the spot where you got your bite, you got that squid they're pulling out of there. You rigged it up perfect. The hook's not going to, the hook no, is not going to take it on itself. Go ahead. It's all, you know, knock on wood. I got wood back here. I have never had a wind on failure. Not one. Out of 700 fit, one single wind on tie, failure. And I tie all my own wind ons, me or the bait, you know, I, whoever the crew is, I make sure that they tie them as well as I do or as well as I think I could tie them. But everything's hand done, everything's done. We make all our own rigs, we make all our own leads, weights, everything. And everything's done prior to going fishing. The fishing part's the easy part, it's the prep that, get, that takes all the work. Um, as far as the, the rig we use, you know, it's like I said, it's a 70 foot wind on and I'm having about four foot of Dacron where the wind on the lines fed into the Dacron. After the Dacron, I put a dropper loop. 
And the dropper loops I make maybe a little different for most people. I use Dacron. And it, there's my dropper loop on the line. Okay, and I've literally sewed this to the line. And you say, how do you do that? I'm going through the Dacron with the needle on that first half hitch that I'm putting on there. Then I put one on the inside of the loop so that it can't possibly slip that way. And then I finish it out going outward. That is not gonna come off of there. I don't care how much lead you put on there. But, you know, you gotta do all this before you go. Now, when we drop, as soon as we hit bottom, we gotta get it off the bottom. We have a lot of little creatures down there. There's hay, tile fish. Um, you don't want it sitting on the bottom very long. As soon as that lead comes off, I usually fish it about 100 feet off the bottom, which is 30 turns on a 50 talica. Those are all our 50 talicas right there. We have four just for sword fishing. Okay. So we're ready to rock anytime. We have a failure on one, you just grab another reel and put it out. You know, why not? If they get tangled or they get coiled, Trash them. I do not fish them coiled. They don't fish the bait right. Once I've used the wind on during the day, that's it. Goes in the garbage. I'm done. I had a lot of people that used to take all of my garbage and, and reuse them, but that's okay. I'm not. Once that thing's got a coil to it, I'm not using it again. Yeah, well, I've done that with my buddy Pete. I'm like, I'll take all your old bait. That bait's going to work just fine for me. He's like, that's fine. You take it. You're not, I'm not using it anymore. I'm like, well, I'll use it. I don't care. But that's why he's a little, that's why he's up there and I'm right here. It's, it is what it is. It's all about prep work, no matter what you're doing in this industry. And I love, what I like, I love Pete. I love Pete. He's great. I met, I met him for the first time when I was on the booby trap. He came down to one of the seminars and he kind of, Kind of grabbed me by the shirt, like pulled me over to this me down. He wanted info. He wanted to know what we were doing and how we were doing it. He had a pad, the paper, and he was writing everything down. Um, that's Pete. Pete's very thorough. He, he investigates everything. He wants to fish with us on this boat over here, but I don't know if it's going to happen or not. They're, you know, it's a private boat, and it's just their family and whatnot, and friends that go out. I'd love to take Pete out here. He'd, I'd love to show him what it's like in this slow current, the way we fish. You know, I mean, uh, we had a pretty phenomenal season for my first season here. Um, I think we fished seven or eight trips and we caught 70 swords. Um, whoa. <laughs> even, even some of the things that, that I did on that first boat there that were pretty phenomenal. I don't think I even did that on the, what we did on this boat. We caught four trips in a row, we caught double digits. We caught 10, 14, 14, and 12. Four trips. Swordfish. Swordfish. Yeah. One was an overnighter. We caught 14 on an overnighter. Can you? That is just so hard to comprehend coming from SoCal just to think. You have 14. We got, we, that is just an unbelievable number. That is just so, it makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up just to, Think about the opportunity that that's got to be like to see that in the slow current. Because I remember what you were making it do on when we were at San Clemente Island and Pete and I were watching. You were trying to imitate the slow current by bumping the boat ahead 
let it drift for a minute, then bump it ahead again and try not to make any ruckus with the engine. That was very, I was learning a lot there too. Oh, we kind of call it a dead troll. You're just bumping it out of gear. You want to keep just a little bit of scope in that line. You don't want to ever get over the top of it because then it'll tangle. You want to keep just a little bit of scope over that line. And then when you get a bite, that's the big thing. Everybody's like, what do you do when you get a bite? Well, my number one answer is do something. <laughs> don't yeah. just stand there. Um, a lot of people will wind it away from the fish to get them fired up. A lot of people will, will drop back to them. It all depends on, on the person and the fish. Smaller bites, I pull it away from them. Get them fired up and they come back after it. And then uh, what I do to, I do something else a little bit different. And I gave this away once before. So I'll give it away again. It's still a big secret and a lot of people are already using it, but I use a rattle. You can buy these almost anywhere. I can't remember exactly the name of the company. I think it's C something, SEA something or other, but it's a glow in the dark rattle. It's got a bullet front on it. So you just put it on so it tracks through the water. Why do I use a rattle? Okay, this is my theory in my fishing head. In the, in the wild, if you had a giant school of squid and you were swimming in the water near them, you would hear clicking in their beaks, okay? Right. They're all clacked together. Wow. That 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 every single rig I ever put in the water. That is a huge secret. That's a... There you go, gang. There you go. That's why he has 700 and we're all hoping to get one. Hey, That's 60. Going to save them till I die. <laughs> right. Which a lot of my buddies are saving all their secrets till they die. I don't know. We're trying to break that code here. And thank you for coming on the show and sharing some of your secrets. We have people that are watching the show right now that are, they've been texting me and asking, what are you talking buoy? Buoy gear, what are you talking about? Kind of, I know it's hard without a visual, but kind of try to describe to them what we're talking about because most people have no idea what we're even saying. Okay. Um, that buoy? buoy rod situation is, is you're floating the bait out there, basically. You're going to have your reel, and in the line here, every so often you're going to have either a double-ended wind on or some kind of a loop. Okay, and like for instance, if you were to buy one through RJ, he'll have it already set up and you'll have increments of say 500 foot, 700 foot, 900 foot. This is where you want the bait to be when it's hanging from the surface. Okay, so say the first loop is 500 feet. What you're doing is you're putting one of these on here. Oh, there you go, you got a picture of one. So that's going to have a long line clip on it. So you drop your bait down to the bottom, you wind it up to the, to the loop that you want for the depth, and then you clip that buoy rod on there on the loop and you just set it out. So the buoy is going to stand straight up like this. Okay. <laughs> you got a bite. It's really simple. The buoy is going to lay over. When it falls over, you're bit. It's that simple. It's a lot. It's a lot of fun. Um, RJ fished with me when I was on the Titan up in the Biloxi tournament. And we went, uh, first day was kind of slow. The second day I went and found this mound and we were fishing it, but we weren't getting bit on bottom. But every single time we put the buoy out, before we could get the second bait out, the buoy laid over. We caught four in a row like that. It was a blast. 
It's exciting because you watch that buoy doing a little bit of moving out there and then all of a sudden it'll start leaning a little and you're like, oh, something's going on and then boom, it goes like that. Everybody's like, yeah! <laughs> so that's basically the buoy rod in a, nut a nutshell. And people go, oh, wait a minute, talk about this real quick. You see that that's going on? Oh yeah, that's uh that's a 277 we caught this year. Uh the boss's first fish over 200 and that fish with another 155 together, we won the uh swordfish show. Look at the size of that thing, gang. That is an incredible fish. Wow. That is insane. That wow. Look at the bill on that thing. Unbelievable. Yeah. That was really cool. Um, the guy that I, I work for presently, Mr. Mike, great family that I work for here in Louisiana. He had a 50-some oh, foot Cabo, and he had started sword fishing, and he was really getting into it. And in a couple of years, I guess, he had caught like 51, I think he told me, before we started. And uh, he uh, caught this year. So, I mean, obviously he's happy with what's happening and the amount of fish we're catching and whatnot. And he caught two over 200. He'd never caught more than five in a day. We caught 11 in a day. Um, so just overall, everything that he had done before, we did better this year. Absolutely. Unbelievable. How fun. How spectacular. Fish of a lifetime, bucket list fish, and you get multi-day, multi multi-double-digit uh, numbers of fish. That's incredible. That is incredible. We had a question come up from one of our guys about somebody back east or something. Yeah, Nick. Do you know Nick? Oh, yeah, I know Nick. Nick actually came over when I was working on the booby trap and did one of the seminars with us. Um, okay. Yeah, so I know Nick and his wife. Uh, it's funny, I, I, I met him, and I haven't seen him since now. He's got two daughters. <laughs> it's been a while. It's been a while. Yeah, I know Nick. Nick's good people. So somebody wants to put together a, a swordfish rig and go swordfish fishing. I always tell them you got to call RJ. You got to get on RJ's website. Wouldn't you suggest that'd be the best way for someone who wants to start to get in it? Instead of trying to figure it out on your own or trying to rig everything up on your own, see what you and RJ have put together over at a, I can't remember what, what is what does he call his group, Jeff? Uh, what does RJ call his group? Crew, crew corner. Or the crew, crew. crew, the crew. Yeah, go to RJ Boyles and check out I the thought, crew. Yeah, I did a couple videos with him. I actually did one with him on uh, slow current. We were showing him how Pacavella did it after that trip we did with him. And uh, yeah, he's got some great educational vid videos there. <clears throat> the thing I like the most, one of the things I really like about RJ is how well he can teach people. He's just got a mannerism about him, a way of talking that, that people get it. You know, sometimes I don't know if they get it or not when I talk. <laughs> yeah, RJ is he's magical and all of his music he's putting out now and everything. The guy's so multi-talented. I mean, he designs all of Pete Grosbeck's and I, I know he does yours too. But he makes all Pete's shirts and hats and everything. RJ's just a, besides a phenomenal fisherman and a great 
musician. He is a unbelievable artist. His artist, his his art is incredible. He's got he's got so many facets to him that are just mind-boggling. I'm so glad that I can call him a friend, just like I'm happy to call you a friend. My good buddy Pete Grossbeck. All you guys just make me a better human being. I'm just happy to be in just to be able to pick up the telephone and call you guys and be in on the whole inner circle of this fishing thing, which is pretty spectacular. And now we're sharing all this information with all of you. RJ was very instrumental on helping me when we were out on the boat, putting together your saltwater guide, the website and teaching all that on there and putting together the videos. I, I owe a lot to RJ and uh, I just can't say. I remember you, you asking him a lot of questions about that when we were there. Oh my God. I was very, very, very interested. There's got to be a kinder, softer, gentler way than working 19 hours a day, seven days a week. And we sing. I think I found the recipe, buddy. <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah, I tell you. Uh, I spent a lot of time over there. I also have uh, Nick Noon, his, who works for RJ. I've had him building all my rods for the last probably 10 years or longer. Actually, it's more like 15. Does a hell of a job. Like I always say, there's no reason to re try, try to invent something that these guys are already masters at. Why would you want to try to in, in oh, I'm going to go build my own. Well, get one from them. Get one from Nick. Get, get one. Get the rig from RJ. Jeff's not going to send you his wind-ons because he's using them. But RJ has them, right? Yes, he does. He's got all that. You know, and that's the thing, you know. There's a lot of guys out there, like especially a lot of your center console guys that are weekend warriors, so to speak. You know, they don't they can't go all the time. And when they do go, you know, they, they can't spend a fortune. You know, um, I'm lucky that I work for people that are well off. And usually in most situations, you know, whatever you need job done is, is provided for you. But I met a guy down in uh, Port Aransas, uh, uh, Matagorda, uh, at a seminar I did with RJ. Ryan Reagan, and he had the guy to the poor man's way to do things. And he would take his wine dogs, take them home, and he would restretch them. He would lay them out so that they would get flat again. He went through a lot of stuff just so he didn't have to spend the money to keep buying them or making them. You know, because irregardless of whether you make them yourself or buy them, you're still buying the materials to make them. You know, so you're right. pretty close. It's not a cheap sport. <laughs> yeah, well, you take it to a whole different level. I'm so happy that you're here sharing with this with all of us. And gang, if you're watching this show, make sure you hit the share button. It's right down there on the bottom. It's free to hit it. Hit the share button. There's probably a lot of people in your network that you don't even know that like to fish that are going to really enjoy this show. You can share it on Facebook, or Facebook or YouTube right now while we're live. And then, gang. Those of you that are listening at the podcast level, make sure you check check us out. Go over there to YouTube and see this and share it with your friends because you're going to get off the road and you're going to go, wow, now I want to go get a swordfish. And uh, you, can, you can go watch this video again. You can see all the cool things that Jeff's been showing us because it's hard to see it when you're listening to the podcast, but it'll be there on YouTube forever or on Facebook. You can always check it out. We got about five more minutes. If anybody has a burning question they want to send in and ask Jeff before I asked him for an hour of his time, 
you're down there at your fish camp right now. You got a lot of stuff going on. You guys are building stuff down there. And everything. Oh, here's a question. You see the question right there from Emilio? Uh, no, I have. Yeah, actually, yes, we have done that. Uh, back when we were on the booby trap, we would throw a couple glow-in-the-dark lures, and we got whacked every once in a while. Um, I know of some people that are really going to try to do that a lot. Uh, Russell Kleppinger in Florida, he's been doing some day stand-up daytime sword fishing over there in that current. That's hard to do. And, uh, you know, he's going to try to do a lot more of that, I think. Okay. And then one more question from the same person about the moon phase. Moon phase is important. Okay. The moon phases affect fishing differently in different places. Um, it seems to me like the guys in Florida like the full moon when they're fishing. Okay. Me, I don't. Um, I like the four to five days leading up to the full moon. They're chewing. By the full moon, they're full. And then you start getting short bites after that. In other words, they could just come up, whack the bait, and swim away. Too, too full. That's about the only time you're going to find a finicky swordfish is if he's full. Okay. That makes sense. Then one more question from my buddy Devo. He wants to know, are you leaving out any of your secrets? And I know you are, and that's 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 just how you get to be successful. You can't give us everything in an hour-long show game. But, well, that's a secret. Uh, <laughs> absolutely. But you have some teaching videos over on RJ's platform, the crew. You guys can check that. If you really want to do the whole swordfish thing, I would suggest making sure you do that. I know there's some people out here on the West Coast that have caught five or six of them, and now they're doing seminars about it. I personally want to know from the guy that caught 700-plus. I want to know from the guys that are out there on the, the commercial boats. Those are the people we bring in on the show, people that are actually making a living doing it and putting up massive numbers. Your numbers are hard to even for anybody to even go out and try to figure out, hey, is there anybody else that has 700 swordfish? Anybody else that has 11 in a night? Anybody else that has multiple, multiple, multiple days of double figure swordfish days? Those are incredible numbers, buddy. I'm very happy to have you with There's us. two records that we have that I'm kind of proud of. Um, one of them comes from the booby trap, and that was 172 in one season. Swordfish. Oh, my God. And the other one was 14 in one day, daylight hours only. Wow. That's <laughs> Woo. Those are incredible numbers. Yeah, we, I did that once. We did it once on the booby trap, and then we did it once on the tighten up. And we came really close on this boat. And before it's over, I want that number. I want to catch 15, 16 of them in a day. That's my big goal. Woo, gosh. So but to do that, I, you got to get headers, and that's not easy. Somebody was asking, do you have one of the rigs that you use on a daily basis? Do you have a rig rigged up there? I know that's a lot to ask for, but you don't have nothing rigged ready to go, do you? You mean a bait? Bait, rod, rig, the whole thing. One person's asking, do you have the whole rig to show us? Well, not really, really right? Wind on leader and uh you know obviously the the line on the reel and then you you're going to make your uh 
cat's paw. And then I don't know otherwise, the only thing left is the bait. And I do have frozen bait right here close by. If you want to see one of those, you can see it. Show them one rig bait real quick, just so they see all the sewing that goes into it. And then we're going to jump off of here. I told you I'd only borrow you for an hour and we're at that hour. I told you it flies by. It's incredible. We've already been on here for an hour. Real quick, he's going to show you guys what goes into the rigging of a bait. The amount of stitches that goes into this is going to blow your mind because like he was saying, it takes a half an hour for him to rig one bait. Gang, don't forget tonight's show is going to be incredible. Live hoop netting in Long Beach Harbor. We did it last night. We had 1,400 watch minutes. Here we go. Show us that rig. So you've got, you've got to sew the head to the body. That's one set of stitches. Then they got the cross stitches all the way up, and that comes up to where you have a uh, you put a one size bigger than the line you're using, crimp up there, and then take your threads and go in there and crimp it. That way it can't possibly come down. And then in here, where the hook is, right up in there as far as you can, you tie a knot onto that hook, and then you sew that line to the head. So when we send it down this way, it can't bunch up this way. You don't want the bait to bunch. But that's basically a two-pack of ours ready to go. Thank you so much for showing that. Now they got a little better understanding. Gang, if any of this, you want to get better at this or anything you want to do, go check out RJ Boyle's website, all the cool stuff he has. He has everything you need. He'll, he'll ship it to you. We were getting, he's in Florida. We were in Southern California. We were getting baits shipped to us and they were showing up still frozen in the little ice chest. So you want to see some of those baits and one of my deck cans, what he did was he opened that package up. First thing he did was he took that apart slowly and looked at it and analyzed exactly how you guys were rigging those baits. And then he went on to start rigging them out here in Southern California. And he was the guy to go to, to get your baits, RJ Boyle style. So there's a lot to this, Jeff, Jeffrey, like you said, number one thing, prep, be ready all the way around gang. If you want to be successful, all the real great captains will tell you it's all about prep work. And I, I do use one specific bait, uh, Baitmaster. I use their squid. That's all I use, Baitmaster squid. And you can order those. There you go, Baitmasters, gang. That's where we we'll get our ballyhoos from. That's We'll ship them anywhere. Thought to place an order as soon as I get my second freezer because I filled this one up. We got to get another freezer to put baits in. And uh, RJ Boyle's website, one more time, gang. We'll throw that up there on the screen, and we're going to get out of here because Jeff's got a bunch of work to do. He's basically, at the end of his day, he's a couple hours ahead of us, and he's way behind because he spent an hour with us. That's RJ's website, gang. That's where you can get the baits pre-rigged, anything for swordfish fishing. RJ's got you covered. Thank you all very much for watching the show today. Jeffrey Wilson, thank you very, very much. I will stay on the comments throughout the rest of the day. I'll try to answer anything you got. Jeffrey, thank you again. Thank you, thank you, thank you. No problem. Anytime. All right, everybody. See you later.